Hello and welcome back to another edition of Podcast from the Edge with me, Peter Bruce. I know I've been doing a lot of these on my own lately, but frankly, I'm enjoying them. Uh, the pieces are shorter and I get to say what I want and um, the numbers are looking good. So I won't always do it this way, but for now, it cheers me up. Um, the Economic Freedom Fighters National Shutdown on Monday, March 20th also cheered me up because it was such an obvious disaster for the EFF and its leader, Julius Malema. He'd spent the two weeks before the protests hogging the headlines and the TV stations in particular who love this guy because he knows how to give them what they want. Still, it's hard to think of any previous time when Julius Malema has been warning and threatening and soothing and then threatening again and warning again for so long and for so much media attention, for in the end, so little return. Basically, he invited EFF supporters and others joined him, unions and some parties, to a big nation-wide party on Monday, and nobody came. Yes, there was a sizable march in Pretoria, but I'd be surprised if it consisted of more than three or 4,000 people. For the rest of the country, the results were derisory. You almost feel sorry for some of the efforts. Small groups of red-shirted members being escorted earnestly up the street by police, as photographed from the air. Malema and the EFF leadership began spinning the fiasco early, claiming victory where none lay. The main victor of the day, if there can be said to have been any, was President Cyril Ramaphosa, who finally, you might say, got his police and security and military ministers to massively police the event to ensure it didn't get out of control. And it worked. I noticed that the boastful Twitter, Twitter hashtag of hashtag shutdown gradually over the course of the day, became the lesser hashtag stay away. Malema had tried to argue that the many closed shops along the routes he took marches, and of course hence uh, the TV cameras, this guy wasn't born yesterday, uh, were evidence that the protests had been successful. But if that was his measure, he was on thin ice. Most businesses in the country probably opened. Certainly according to a statement from the National Employers Association of South Africa, Niasa. It represents mainly small manufacturing or fabricating companies, but it reckons 70% of its members opened, and of those that opened, 70% of their workforce turned up. There was more evidence of uh, shutdown failure in the opening of malls and big retailers. The, uh, the ports opened, as did the airports. Malema, though, was not to be thwarted, and was throwing out evidence of his triumph by lunchtime, encouraging a slight rejig of the uh, amusing aside by the Scottish poet and man of letters, Andrew Lang, that, quote, he uses facts like a drunk man uses lampposts for support rather than illumination. There's obviously a big difference between a shutdown and a stay away, but neither helps Malema and the EFF. In fact, if this is a measure of EFF pulling power going into an election next year, then it's in big trouble. The businesses that did shut down did so out of fear for the EFF, or of the EFF, not because they approved of the protest. And the people who stayed away from work probably did so because, well, they could. They didn't want to deal on their way to and from work with possible EFF intimidation, which we know is often the party's default on the street. And their employers would have been largely understanding. In the end, it was all a rather sorry sight. Uh, Malema leading three or 4,000 people in Pretoria while some presumably sympathetic Twitter accounts were posting photographs um, of the big 30,000 to 50,000 marches of yesteryear when the party and the rest of the country had Jacob Zuma in its sights. 
Ramaphosa simply doesn't offer the EFF or any of the opposition parties the kind of target that Zuma did. Yeah, he's a slippery politician, and obviously he tolerates way too much corruption in others and people around him. But you'd be hard-pressed to pin any corruption on him. And whatever it is that we know about the theft of more than $400,000 in cash from his Palapala game farm in Limpopo, it's also wise to remember that the story was first told by Arthur Fraser, Jacob Zuma's intelligence uh, lackey, who no one in their right mind would even remotely expect to tell the truth about anything. So far, Ramaphosa has held his legal ground around Palapala, and political parties from left and right will expend a lot of energy, a lot of political energy, trying to get a result that may not in fact exist. Good luck to them. But, uh, you know, remember that Ramaphosa bashing is unlikely to win over uh, new votes in next year's general election. For that, you have to craft actual, realistic, affordable policy propositions that voters might be attracted to. It's like fishing off the rocks. You know, you can't stand there shouting at the tide. You have to cast wisely. You've got to know where the, where the deep water is, where the holes are. You've got to know what bait to use, what the fish are biting. I think it's all okay. The ANC vote will almost certainly go down again next year. It's on its way out, slowly but surely. The one th- thing we remain, and it's gorgeous, is a democracy, a healthy one too. It's something I'm grateful for all the time. I can say what I want and so can you. Try that in some of the big powers like Russia or China we now consort with so enthusiastically. What we learnt on Monday, though, is that the EFF might be in trouble as well. It's not what the more recent polls have been suggesting. Whatever the spin, uh, Monday's uh, shutdown was a big and public failure. And weirdly, the more that the EFF hands Ramaphosa opportunities like that to protect citizens, the way they did on Monday, the more they butter Ramaphosa's and the ANC's bread. South Africa is a really difficult country to rouse the way the EFF leadership had hoped. There were just too many places. Joburg, Pretoria, Durban, Blum, Port Elizabeth, Cape Town, East London. It's too much for one big assault to work at. Julius decided to shut down, say, just Joburg or East London and bust in support from around the country, you'd have been able to assemble a much more convincing crowd, a much more convincing protest. The more, the, the wider you spread yourself in this country particularly, the weaker you look. And South Africans are also not easily roused, especially not to revolution. In our history, the most successful violence has always been organized by people protecting their jobs or what they already have. White mine workers, for instance, in 1922, trades to unions more recently. Colonialism and apartheid lasted as long as they did precisely because the societies they were suppressing were inherently conservative in the first place. People with nothing, for obvious reasons, have never really risen en masse here. Their ability to organize is poor. Physically, they're exhausted. And, you know, as a political party, casting yourself as a champion of the poor also limits you to that fraction of poor people who've given up believing they can do things for themselves. Ambition exists despite poverty. And obviously the great deflator of revolutionary fervor here is the mere fact of our democracy. People keep warning about an Arab Spring here. But I really think we're miles away from that. The countries where the Arab Spring or the Arab uprising changed the world for a few brief years were overwhelmingly autocratic. We're the very opposite. And our cultures may be very different Uh, in South Africa, but the fact that we are predominantly Christian may help on the Arab Spring front, 
we do our violence differently to different channels. It may even help that we play rugby and cricket and tennis and golf. Who knows? Our constitution and our judges matter more than we know. And it helps too that we have, yeah, the EFF out there shouting and insulting and performing. And if there wasn't a Julius Maleba in our politics, given the scale of our poverty and unemployment and the rank incompetence of our government, then you'd have to invent someone or something pretty much like him. The fact that he squanders the golden opportunity laid before him on spectacle is our luck. Heaven help us if the EFF were a serious hard-left party with serious hard-left policies. So the scary moment ends with a whimper instead of a bang. But having responded so forcefully to the threat of EFF violence, Ramaphosa will open himself to questions now about why the police aren't always on the street to protect us. He's well aware of the levels of murder and gender-based violence here, of the scale of corruption throughout our society, and no doubt of who in his government is corrupt. The problem we ordinary folk have is that he's generally frozen by the intricacies uh, of internal ANC politics. The fact that he could boast last week in public that he didn't consult anyone over his decision to appoint a Minister of Electricity merely tells us what a rare event it was and how carefully he consults or seeks permission in the normal course of events, all in the interest, I suppose, of party unity or his own job or reform. We don't know. But having decided also to take on the EFF's call for a national showdown and having won, we just might be able to expect now that the president has learned a valuable lesson. Security matters to us, South Africans. In the absence of coherent political opposition on policy at least, a serious increase in personal security between now and the elections in May next year might well deliver him a pleasant surprise. Well, that's it from me. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, this podcast is on the Financial Mail every week online. And it's also available on the Apple and Spotify podcast platforms as well. I hope you'll be back uh, to listen to another edition of podcasts from The Edge with me next week. Bye-bye for now.